Turn to the person next to you and just let them know that you are so glad that they're here this morning. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you're here this morning. So good to see you this morning. God is good. His mercies are new every morning. Great, so great is His faithfulness. Amen. People change. Our moods change. Our circumstances change. But God, He does not change. Amen. Isn't it good to know every morning you wake up, there's a fresh batch of bread. No, there's a fresh batch of coffee. No, there's a fresh batch of mercy. The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. That helps you to wake up when you're miserable. When you got a week that you're not looking forward to. But amen. I want to just welcome you to our Father's house. Jesus said it is a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And so this morning, we are going to be partaking of communion at the end of the message. We are going to remember what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary by partaking of communion. And I've called this message Sunday Dinner. Sunday dinner. Now, in an Italian household, I was the youngest, or I still am, the youngest of five children. I'm going to embarrass my sister because she's here this morning. She's the oldest, but she looks good at 49 years old. Amen. Antoinette, just give a wave this morning. But in an Italian household, Sundays meant dinner over my parents' house. Every Sunday for I don't know how many years, not just a few, but 30, 40 years, every Sunday there was macaroni. We called it macaroni. Macaroni was a general term for all kinds of macaroni. Meatballs, sausage, in, gra in gravy. Now listen, we as a, in our Italian household, we didn't call it sauce. It was gravy. And not brown stuff, but the gravy was the red stuff. So it was meatballs, macaroni, and, and gravy. Every Sunday, and we would have my, my brothers, my sisters, uh, my, my, their spouses, in-laws, so my in-laws, and nephews and nieces. So every Sunday there could have been 12, 15, 18 people around the table. What, what nice memories. And every Sunday, and when I went off to Bible college, I li Bible college was close, worship service that we had to attend at the Bible college, come home to have Sunday dinner. And I mean, when you're in college, how many of you know a home-cooked meal goes a long way? I mean... You know, cafeteria food is good for the first couple of weeks, but then it all tastes the same week after week and after week. And so I'd come home, and then once in a while I'd bring, I'd bring some classmates, some friends, and I mean, they were just blown away, especially if they were not Italian, to come and have that, have that meal. It was just like over the top. And some Sundays, if I didn't bring anybody, uh, I'd come back to church in the afternoon, and I'd bring some leftovers. And I mean, walking through the dorm, the aroma would just fill the room, and I'd have people coming out of their rooms, and I'd have to fight them off, and, you know, I just had some, some friends that I'd bring some leftovers. But then, then as time went on, when I began to date my wife, and just as a, just a side note, Pastor Lisa, Pastor Maureen, both sick, so we want to just keep them in our prayers today. Amen? But when I brought my wife home... Uh, my girlfriend, fiancé at that time, the first few Sundays, she came from Maine. She came from a different culture. I mean, they didn't eat like that on Sundays. But when she came, she thought we were all mad at each other because we were all talking, talking loud. Uh, I don't know if anybody was listening. We were just all talking. It's just that kind of culture, that kind of household. Um, but she got used to it, and then she just learned how to jump in there and yell with the best of them. <laughs> But I share that with you because I want to talk to you about 
the Lord's table, the communion table this morning. And I want to look at a passage of scripture uh, that, that gives us the, the insight. And I want to talk to you about a special meal, a special uh, dinner, if you will, or supper that took place in the life of Christ at the end of his life on the earth. And this is when Jesus instituted or ordained for his followers to have a perpetual, powerful, practical reminder of his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. I want to talk to you this morning about what we know in the scriptures as communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 16, if you could put that up there for me. Uh, in, in the scriptures, it's known as a few different things. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing, the cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? So it's known as communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. Therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper. So it's known as communion. It's known as the Lord's Supper. And then in the book of Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. Acts 20, verse 7, the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. So in the scriptures, it's known as communion, the Lord's Supper, in the breaking of bread. In some church settings, it's called the Eucharist. It's called the Eucharist. Now, don't get freaked out by that term. All that means in the Greek, the word Eucharist simply means thanksgiving. So, in some church settings, it's used, it's called the Eucharist because of us giving thanks before we remember the Lord, and before we partake of communion. So we have the Lord's Supper, we have communion, we have the breaking of bread, or the Eucharist. This morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 22 that I believe is so powerful that we're going to take a few moments to unpack and, and, and the reason why I take this time to share, because I want this to have the significance that it should have, both biblically, spiritually, and practically, for us here this morning. Can you say amen? amen. Luke chapter 22. Now, when the hour had come, verse 14, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, then he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given to you, for this, do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. I have four points this morning. And I just want to give them to you quickly, preparing our hearts. So um, I just want you to get ready, open up your heart, open up your spirit, whisper a prayer, say, Lord, give me ears to hear, give me a heart to perceive, help me to understand the word of God this morning. Can you say amen? amen. Number one, when we look at this communion table, when we partake today, I want you to understand on this first communion time, this first Lord's Supper, if you will. Number one, it's real. It was real. The Bible says in verse 14, the 12 apostles were with him. Now what I mean by that is that the, this first Lord's Supper, well it was the last supper, but it was the first supper. 
It was just a real simple meal. Now I want you to get that this morning. It was a simple act of breaking bread and of sharing the cup. It was nothing elaborate. There were no special garments, no vestures, no bells, no incense. It was very simple. I want you to get this. This was just a real meal, a real gathering with real people. But it was simple. It was, it was none of this religious trapping sometimes that we attach to it. I, I, I just went recently to a, a, a special something at another ch- church. But it was a traditional church. And I'm not trying to make fun of or condescend or, or, or be critical in any way. But there were bells and whistles and sounds and, and, and speaking in languages I couldn't understand. And a lot of this is added on religiously. But in the Bible, it was just a real simple act. Breaking bread, partaking of a cup. But what, what, is, what I also want you to get is Jesus had the 12 with him. And again, when we read the scriptures and we think of certain biblical accounts, we look at them with, with, with a certain perspective. We look at them like these apostles all had halos around their head. That they were uh, superhuman or otherworldly or, or they were not like you and I. But how many of you know that's the furthest thing from the truth? I want, to, I want you to understand, I want you to realize that this was a meal and, and, and it was a real meal and, 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 and they had with them, who was there? There was Peter, there was James and John, there was Thomas, there was Judas. I want you to understand that, to put it in perspective, that this was not something that's some unrealistic thing so out in, in the heavenlies, but these were real people. Think about who was at that table. Peter. Peter. Here was Peter, who, who was very passionate. He was the spokesman of the group. But Peter, although he did some great things, he messed up big time. He, he declared, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never forsake you. And at the first chance that he got, he's out the door, and he's denying that he even knew Jesus. Not too many days later. We're not talking ancient history. We're not talking such a far-removed period of time. But just in a short time, then you have James and John. James and John got a nickname, Sons of Thunder. Do you know why they got that nickname? Because while they're walking with Jesus, they're about to do ministry in a certain city, and a certain city would not receive Jesus. So you know what they said? Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Pretty good for disciples who are trying to win the world and love people. They won't come to our church. God, burn them up. Or they left our church. God, burn them up. So they got the nickname Sons of Thunder. And Jesus said, wait a second. Hold on, James and John. You don't know what spirit you are of. But this same John would be the one who wrote a book, and you know what the name of his book was? John. Good. Uh, (laughs) Trick question. It's really deep this morning. Some of you say, wow, you're visiting. Wow, your pastor's really deep. What a revelation. (laughs) But then you have Thomas. Thomas, unfortunately, he got a nickname, Doubting Thomas. Why? Because after Jesus rose from the dead, even though he declared and predicted it, when when Thomas heard about it, all the other apostles said, we've seen the Lord. Thomas said, I doubt it. Every time you told him something, I doubt it. So this morning, you might be here and you might have some doubts. Today, you might have denied the Lord. You might have, you might have been in a predicament where you, you, you were caught and you said, well, I'm not even a Christian. And, and you might be in a place where you've got some issues in your life. I want you to know this is a real table. It's not for people with halos. 
This is, for a, this is a table for people who know that they need the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercies of God. Think of it. To put it into perspective, as you and I come to the communion table, you know, I think if you ask Jesus, if you took Jesus aside, you could actually do a commercial. Jesus, what do you think of your disciples? They're okay. Just okay? Oh, come on. Some of you haven't seen that AT&T commercial yet? They're just okay. But it's okay to just be okay. Matter of fact, it's okay to not be okay. The problem is you don't want to stay not okay. You don't want to just stay okay. That's why we come to the table, because this grace, this, this impartation of God's mercy, there's a revelation of what God has done. But see, when Jesus got his disciples together, it says he had the 12 with him. Those were the ones that he chose. The Bible says in, in Mark, if you could put that up, Mark chapter 3. I want you to see this. I want you to understand the word of God, what we're talking about. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. Just hold it right there. And they came to him. He called those that he wanted. He chose Peter, even though he knew Peter would deny him. He chose James and John, even though they would be sons of thunder and also worry about position and status and want a title and, and be concerned with things they shouldn't be concerned with them. He called them. He called Thomas. He even called Judas. See, that's who is at the table. You see, it's not about how great you are. It's about how great he is. It's not about what we have done, but it's what Christ has done. It's not about who we are, but it's, it's about who he has, is making us to become. For it's not about works. It's about grace. Come on, let's keep it real. Jesus knew who he was inviting to Sunday dinner. He knew who he was inviting. See, I'm, I'm trying to emphasize that because I want you to, I want you to uh, understand and, and, and keep it real this morning. I want you to be real. See, sometimes we come to church and we're not real. We get spiritual. We get religious. And we hide behind a religious facade. And we become what, the, what Jesus said or what we see in the New Testament, hypocrites. And a hypocrite in the New Testament, that word was for one who, who played in, in, in drama, in cinema, and they would, they would wear a mask. And they would have the mask hiding the true identity, the true faith. And they'd put on, and they become someone they're really not. Let's be real in God's house. Let's be real. I don't know where to go. I'm not getting much response this morning. Usually I got one section that I can go over to for help in the time of need. But let's be real. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to go through discouragements. It's okay to have some setbacks. It's okay to be real in that because we have to understand that's who Jesus invited to the table. And he wanted them. He chose them. God chose you this morning in all your ups and downs, all your weaknesses and all your failures. He chose you. You know, my wife was adopted from birth. Adopted right from the hospital. Came home two weeks. And, and you know, in our culture, in our society, things have changed, but there's a certain stigma, you know, if you were adopted. I remember growing up, you know, my siblings would, you want to joke, you, you're not even part of the family, you were adopted. Anybody have that? Kids could be cruel, especially older brothers. But you know what? You see, my wife was chosen. You know, and, and I, I wish I had heard this one earlier. I could have, she could have used it growing up, but she could say to people, I was chosen. Your parents got stuck with you. 
I'm chosen. You're chosen. He chose you by the grace of our God. Chosen. Let's keep it real. Let's be real. Number two, it's relational. It's relational. Verse 15. Look what Jesus said. With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. That word in the original language, the structure of the, of the text in the New Testament was written in Greek, and it speaks of an intense desire or craving. Jesus had a longing, a yearning, a passion to spend time with his disciples. Oh, I wish you'd get this this morning. You see, he knew that his time on earth was short. And what did he have but a desire to spend time with the 12? Oh, Lord, help me to preach this morning. Give us ears to hear. Help us to, to understand. You see, what we un need to understand, and, and I don't care whether it's 2020 or whether it's the 1900s or whether it's Bible times or even the next 20, 50 years, culture will change. People who think they're cool today are going to be outdated tomorrow. But let me tell you something. You know what the truth of the matter is? We were created for relationship. We are created as relational beings. You, oh, you don't understand that? That's why you're on Facebook. You're trying to connect with people. You're trying to get people to like you, to comment with you, to know your life, to know, and get it. And I'm not totally down on it. I'm not saying that all social media is wrong. I'm just saying that it can't meet the need of the physical contact and the relationship that we long for. Once again, it's another diversion and a deception that causes more disconnect than actual connection because it does not replace that part of us that needs relationship. God said in his word, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, Facebook is interesting. I never heard of Facebook healing the sick but it has made the dumb to speak. <laughs> but relational, he desired to be with his disciples. He had a passion to spend this time with them. Do you understand that you and I were made for relationship and, and, and first and foremost for relationship with God? relationship with our creator if you get that wrong if you are not connected you are not in a healthy vital relationship with God nothing on this level is going to work it's not going to work the way God intended it to work please hear me please understand when you're in vital relationship with God you are being nourished you are being strengthened you are being made whole you are developing health so that in this way your relationships are healthy if you are cut off from your creator if you are not in fellowship with him you begin to try to get something out of people that they cannot give you you become insecure, you become dysfunctional, you become a victim, and, and you begin to try to grasp for something that people were never meant to give you, that God was meant to give you. And Jesus, as God in the flesh, was, was giving us a revelation, was speaking to us of, of the heart of God, saying, I long, I desire, I want to be with you. Amen. You know, we sing that song, I am a friend of God. What an awesome song. He knows my name. I am a friend of God. But you want to know something that's better than that? You know what's better than being a friend of God? Is being his brother. Is being his sister. You say, Pastor, where did you get that one from? I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. Hold it right there. Seeking to speak with you. Wow, think about that. Mary's there. His brothers are there. You would think Jesus would say, let's pot the waters. Let's pot the crowds. I want them to come in. Next verse. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who 
is my mother and who are my brothers? Good question. You know what the answer is? He stretched out his hands towards his disciples. He said, here are my brother, here's my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Think of the relationship. Can you get a revelation this morning? Can the Holy Spirit rip back the veil and strip off the blinders and, and, and the layers of hurt and the layers of disconnect and help you to understand that when you do the will of the Father, you are in relationship with Jesus in such an intimate way that nothing in this world can compare. Come on, can you say amen? amen. You see... Prayer and Bible reading is not some religious exercise or some chore. It is the way that we communicate with God. And it is our communication line. It is our connection with God. God wants to spend time with you. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus longs for fellowship with you and I. We see this in the New Testament. We see this in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. In, John, in Revelation chapter 3, we have Jesus talking to a church, speaking to a, a, a literal church of the first century. And this church is in Laodicea. It's in Asia Minor region of the, of the, of the globe, of the world. And, and Jesus is knocking at the door. The Bible says, behold, Jesus says, I knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come in. What is so interesting, he's not knocking at the door of a house of ill repute. He's knocking at the door of his own church. He's knocking at the door of his own house. Somehow, some way, this is a church that the Bible says that they, they have become self-sufficient. We're rich. We're doing good. We made it to the promised land. We don't, we don't have any need. We're, we're good. They were self-sufficient. They were smug. They were secure. But you know what God says? You're blind. You're wretched. You're undone. See, man's opinion, our opinion is not what really matters. It's what God's assessment is. That's why we have to pray regularly. Search me, O oh God. Try me. Reveal to me. Let me know if there's wicked way in me because I don't even know my heart. Oh God, if we can just be honest in the house of God and not be religious, not be so spiritual, hiding behind a title, trying to impress people, but saying, God, show me. Reveal. Why? Because as Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The psalmist said, my goodness is nothing without you. Jesus longs for fellowship. He would knock at a door and he would say, listen, open up the door. I want to come in. Imagine Jesus pleading with humanity, pleading with his church. The Lord knocks, but we're too busy. The Lord knocks, but we're preoccupied. The Lord knocks, but we're distracted. The Lord knocks, but we're full of our own agenda. The Lord knocks, but we're not home. The Lord knocks, but we're bitter. The Lord knocks, but we're unforgiving. The Lord knocks, but we've got our own ideas. But the Lord said, if any man hears my voice, I pray the Holy Spirit would quicken your heart this morning, shake you every which way but loose, and get your attention that you open up and say, Jesus, come in. Come in, and why did he want to come in? He said, I want a fellowship with you. I love you. I love you. I want to spend time with you. That has always been God's heart from the very beginning. God said, let us make man in our own image. God created all the universe, but there was nothing in his image. No, no point of relating to, but he made man. Adam enjoyed fellowship with God. The Bible says he would walk in the cool of the garden and God would talk to him and there was the glory of God overshadowing his life. But then he sinned. Then he rebelled, took matters into his own hands, did his own thing. And what happened? He hid from the presence of God. And what is God doing? Adam, where are you? How many of you know when God asks a question, he's not looking for information? He knows it all. He's looking for confession. 
He's looking for acknowledgement. And God's calling out to some of you this morning. Where are you? Well, God, I'm in church. No, 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 that's not what God asked. Where are you at spiritually? Are you hiding? You see, the reality of it is we hide behind sex. We hide behind drugs. Some of us hide behind work, social media, money, business. But yet God calls, God longs, and God knocks. This communion table was real. It was relational, and it was also representative. Representative. Look at what Jesus said in verse 19. This is my body, which is given for you. These emblems here this morning, we're going to have cups that have a little wafer. But we have this for illustrative purposes. But these emblems are just representative. They represent Jesus' broken body. His body that was broken for us. This juice represents his blood. It's representative. It's a symbol. It's symbolic, if you will. It represents something. A symbol is the visible represent, representation of an invisible truth or idea. We know in, in our, in, even in the whole world, our culture, our, an olive branch is a symbol of peace. This, this wedding ring is a symbol of love, of, of marriage. It represents something. When Jesus said, this is my body, it was not to be taken literally, but it was representative of his body. What a powerful truth. Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. It points to the greatest sacrificial act the world has ever seen. The crucifixion of the holy, pure, sinless Son of God. John the Baptist, when he saw him, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you believe that this morning? Do you have faith? If you're having trouble with your faith, if you're doubting, you know what? I encourage you, feed your faith. Starve your doubts. Feed your faith with truth. Feed your faith with godly fellowship. Feed your faith with that which would minister to your soul. And starve your doubts. Not only is it real, relational, representative, but lastly, it's redemptive. In verse 20, look what Jesus said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. At this time in the life of Jesus, it was just before his crucifixion. And the disciples were celebrating the Jewish Passover. The Passover, or let me say communion, really has its roots in the Old Testament occurrence of the Passover. The Passover in the Bible, if you remember, is the book of Exodus, that God's people are enslaved in the land of Egypt. And after 400 years of the people being enslaved and being away from the promised land, God sends a deliverer. He raises up Moses. Moses was strong. Moses was good looking. You say, how do I know? Where's that in the Bible? I saw the movie. <laughs> he raises up Moses and Moses goes to Pharaoh says, let my people go. Moses, Pharaoh would not listen and God begins to judge the nation. God gave them a chance to repent. They would not. And plague after plague, ten plagues until the last plague, which was the death angel that was going to pass through the land of Egypt. And every firstborn from the throne of Pharaoh to even the cattle would be slain. Every firstborn. But God said to Moses and to his leaders to let the people know that they ought to take a lamb and they ought to slay a lamb and, and they ought to take the blood of the lamb and anoint the doorposts and the windows of that house. And when the death angel would pass through the land, 
when he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. And that house would be speared. How many of you know on that church, church before the Passover, every firstborn son was paying attention? No one was on Facebook. No one was falling asleep. When they heard about the firstborn, they were elbowing their parents. Listen up, my life is on the line. What we fail to understand when we come to church, our spiritual life is on the line. This is not a joke. The things of God are not to be trifled with. The word of God is God's word in which he will judge the angels, he will judge the universe, and he will judge every man, woman, boy, and girl. God's love is for all people and he has made a way for salvation. And the way for salvation in the land of Egypt was a lamb to be slain and roasted and eaten. And the Bible says God will pass over. He will keep the death angel from taking the life. So in this first century of Jesus, here they are, the they're commemorating the Passover. Do you know Jews today, Jewish people today, still celebrate the Passover? So ingrained in their history, in their culture, in their religion, but they fail to realize that the Passover lamb has already been slain, and he is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. But here's Jesus celebrating the Passover. First, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tells us, Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For Christ, indeed Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. John the Baptist, as I said, stated, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. God said it in that time and he says it today, when I see the blood, I will pass over. You see, God still, still declares to you and I that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that the blood is still the covering for our sins. You see, this morning, the blood can cleanse away every sin that you have ever committed. There is power in the blood. Gee, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. He didn't say, when I see how educated you are, I'll pass over. When I see how rich you are, how good looking you are, how talented you are. No, he said, when I see the blood. When I see the blood. The blood, the blood, the blood. It never loses its power. The blood is still necessary for salvation. There are some denominations and some churches that would try to do away with the blood. There have been some movements that have tried to take our, our songs and our hymnals and take any mention of the word blood out because they say that's incompatible with modern society, that we are not a bloody people. But let me tell you that there's nothing but the blood. What can wash away our sin? Nothing, nothing but the blood. What can make us whole again? Nothing. But the blood, when I see the blood, this, this juice represents the blood. Jesus said this, this cup is a cup of a new covenant. See, there's a difference between a contract and a covenant. In a contract, contracts in our culture and even in business, they're made to be broken. We pay lawyers big bucks to break contracts. But you see, in God's, God's plan, when he made a covenant, it was binding. He said, I'll never break my covenant. This is a new covenant. He said, the covenant in my blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God there's no other way to have your sins forgiven except through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. At the cross, God is saying to you and to me, I love you, I love you, I love you. Romans 5a tells us, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, God is so concerned with every soul. 
I made reference last week to Aaron Rodgers, what he had posted, talking about how can a loving God send people to hell? He's misinformed. Sorry, Aaron. Stick to football, not theology. God did everything he could do to keep us from hell. He provided salvation, redemption, the Passover so that mankind can be saved. But you and I this morning, we have a choice. You see, God has already done his part. God has already done his part. Our part simply is Hebrews 11.6, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What we have to do this morning is simply believe the truth of the gospel. Hallelujah. Believe in what Christ has already done. He died for your sins, but not only for your sins, but for the power of your sin. I need to preach a message on the power of sin because there are a lot of Christians that don't know the power of sin. They think you can dabble with sin, mess with sin, play with sin, and not get burned, but you are, you are deceived. Let me tell you, stay away from sin. Don't play around with sin. Don't play around with the flesh, the world, the devil. It will destroy you. I can't get into all that unless you want me to. I'll take another hour. That's all I need is one witness. Believe. Our only approach to God is by faith. There's no other way to come to God but by faith. No other way to get right with God but by faith. This morning as we partake of these emblems, in just a couple of moments we're going to partake it's a truly a privilege and an honor to come to the dinner, to come to the table. It's real for real people. It's for you. It's relational. It's God's desire, his passion for us to remember him. It's representative. It's redemptive. Do you know our relationship with God is true greatness? God help us. God help us in our culture. You know what our culture is more concerned with? God have mercy. More concerned with fame than greatness. Christians who are more concerned with being famous than being truly great. Do you know you can be famous and not be great? Oh, God, help me this morning because some of you are not getting it. You know you can be great but not famous? Hello? According to the standards of this world, we've got young people, we've got people on social media, they will do the sickest, craziest things just to get likes, just to go viral. They will risk their lives. Why? Because they want to be famous. But let me tell you, you can be famous and not great. But you can be great this morning. You might be sitting in an aisle, you can look down the aisle, there's some great people. They might not be famous, but in God's eyes, they're great. We, we got a culture that wants to measure the greatness of a man by the size of his chest instead of the size of his heart. That's more important. That's more important is the size of the heart. What's on the inside? True greatness is knowing God. And, and one last scripture as we, we get to, to, to pray and get ready. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, if the Holy Spirit could just hammer this home, if we can get a revelation, if the eyes of our understanding can be enlightened this morning. Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord. That's pretty powerful right there. Thus says the Lord. This is not man, this is not CNN, this is not Fox. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories or rejoices glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Says the Lord. Would you stand together with me this morning? I'm going to ask those that are going to be helping us to serve would just come. I'd like you to begin to just examine your heart and pray this morning. We are actually going to distribute them along the aisles. If you can just take it, pass it down, pass it to the next aisle, we'll help you along. 
But as they are beginning to disperse the emblems, I just want to talk to you for a couple of minutes. Listen, you only have to watch them when they come to your aisle. Until then, just watch me. Amen. We're going to partake of communion. But let me just say this to you. The Bible gives us some instructions. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Bible tells us, listen, to examine your heart before you partake. One of the reasons why we have only had communion on Wednesday nights, the first Wednesday of the month, is because I have been of the persuasion, the conviction that on a Sunday morning, we could have a lot of people here that are not truly followers of Jesus. And the Lord's Supper was practiced in the early church with just those who were a part of the fellowship, not just anybody who came to church. Hello, are you listening to me? I want you to get this this morning because I don't want you to partake lightly or without reverence for God. Not that this has to be a total solemn, somber moment, but we do have to examine our heart. And if you're a believer this morning and you love Jesus, you can partake. But if there's something in your heart, they, this is an opportunity for you to repent. You're not repenting for anybody else's sin. You've got enough of your own sins. So you repent of your sins. Amen? You say, God, forgive me for you fill in the blank. But if you're not a, a follower of Jesus, you've not committed your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now. What an opportunity. What a, what a perfect moment to... Remember Jesus, to remember Jesus, to acknowledge Him. This morning, if you are new here or if you've been coming, but you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior by faith, please, we're going to partake together so no one partake. If you'd like to prepare your communion, you can. But, but listen to me this morning. If you are here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus, now is the time. You are not guaranteed another day of life. Nobody is guaranteed. I have had people that I have preached to on a Sunday and they're gone. They, they die before the next Sunday. This is no joke. We've all moved and affected by the passing of Kobe Bryant, a great basketball player. But the reality of it is there's thousands of people that die every day, slip into eternity. My question for you this morning, have you prepared? Have you repented of your sins? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? The first message that Jesus preached was, repent for the kingdom of God is among you. The first message the apostles preached was repent. That means turn. Turn from your sin. It's high time we turn from our sin, our rebellion, our self-sufficiency and surrender to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I accept you, I repent, and I commit my life to follow you. This morning, if that's you, would you just pray, God, forgive me today. God, I put my faith in you. God, I trust you for my salvation. I believe in what Jesus died on the cross. He died for me, and he, when he rose from the dead, he rose on my behalf, and I have the hope of eternal life today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would just prepare. The reason why you have to prepare, because these are not easy. Amen. When, when supper had ended, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And you know, interesting, he gave thanks. He knew what was coming. He knew the cross was coming. But you know what? He gave thanks. Can you give thanks this morning, even though you're suffering? Even though you're going through some difficult times? Even though life isn't everything you want it to be right now? Thank you, God. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. I want you to remember me. Let's remember Jesus this morning. In the same manner, Jesus took the cup. 
And he said, this cup is the cup of a new covenant. Covenant established and founded in my blood. I want you to take and I want you to drink of it. He said, this is my blood given for you. Again, he was speaking figuratively. And we remember him today. We remember Jesus, what he did for us. And we're encouraged that he loves us and that his blood is still available and his blood is still at work in our life, cleansing us and changing us. And we remember him and we partake in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know that when I preach the gospel, you hear the gospel. But when we partake of communion, we not only hear it, we see it, we feel it, and we taste it. We have a, rem a reminder, a remembrance, a memorial of what Jesus did for us. Amen. Let us never forget. It's an old hymn we used to sing, Lead Me to Calvary. Lead me to Gethsemane, lest I forget. Yes. Lest I forget thy agony. Lest I forget thy blood shed for me. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. First Corinthians chapter 13 or chapter 12 lists nine gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. This morning we had a tongue and an interpretation. And if you remember, that word was God's desire for relationship. That was just a confirmation of the message this morning of God's passion for people. He loves you. He loves me and he desires relationship with us. So this morning as we close in prayer, I want you to understand that when you wake up tomorrow morning, have a relationship with Almighty God. Draw near to God. He loves you. Don't be drawn to your phone. Don't be drawn to other things, TV or newspaper or whatever. Just spend the first part of your few moments of your day with God. He's calling out to you. He's knocking. He wants to come and fellowship with you. Let's pray together. We're going to sing one chorus, and then we'll pray. Let's just sing one more chorus. Just give thanks and worship. Come on, let this be your response to the message. Let's worship the Lord, and I'll close in prayer after this song. Thank you for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Join us for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. and for life groups every Wednesday at 7 p.m. We are located at 321 Vesey Street in Providence, Rhode Island. Have a blessed day.